checking on his stick. We are Chicken on a Stick. Welcome back to another episode. Welcome, welcome. Today we're going to be talking about the 1960 film, The Magnificent Seven. The Magnificent Seven, which is one of my dad's top favorite movies. That and True Grit, I think he said, are like his, his top, top tier movies. And yeah, I had not seen it before. The, the original one. Which is very surprising. I don't yeah. think he told me that before this. Although I've watched this before. Uh-huh. I don't know why you didn't join me to watch it previously. Um, sometimes I stick my nose up in the air. It's some of the older movies that you watch, so maybe aye, aye, aye. maybe maybe I didn't hear what you said. <laughs> okay, well, we'll get more into this in just a moment. Yeah. You hear that? We're trapped! All 40 of us by these three. Or is it four? They couldn't afford to hire more than that. We come cheaper by the bunch. Five. Even five wouldn't give us too much trouble. There won't be any trouble if you ride on. Ride on? I'm going to hills for the winter. Where am I going to get the food for my men? Buy it or grow it. Or maybe even work for it. Seven. Somehow I don't think you've solved my problem. Solving your problems isn't our line. We deal in lead, friend. Okay, so The Magnificent Seven is a 1960s film, but there's a little bit of sort of background information that you don't necessarily need that I think we should go over before we actually start talking about the movie. Yeah, it's like a fun little tidbit to to know about. So for those of you who might not be familiar with Magnificent Seven, uh, or maybe don't really know too much about film history or sort of foreign films, Magnificent Seven is an American remake of the legendary 1954 Japanese samurai epic called Seven Samurai by Akira Kurosawa. Mm -hmm. And The Magnificent Seven follows pretty closely to that general sort of plot Mm -hmm. um, and kind of ideas. The Seven Samurai, we're not going to get like too crazy into it, but just give a little bit of information. Um, Seven Samurai is... A technical and creative watershed that became Japan's highest grossing movie and set new standards for the industry. It's remained highly influential and often seen as one of the most remade, reworked, referenced films in cinema, period. Um, Just for an example, obviously we're going to talk about The The Magnificent Seven, which is probably the most successful straight adaptation of the story itself, but this goes on much further than that and in a lot of films you might not be aware of it also the general plot of uh gathering a group of sort of warriors to defend defend a town or something like that yeah is a pretty common trope nowadays there's mm-hmm. a lot of movies that pay homage to this that you may not think of such as films like saving private ryan mm-hmm. uh the dirty dozen star wars uh 13th warrior mm-hmm. expendables Avengers Endgame yep. is about that. Uh, even A Bug's Life. Even A Bug's it, Life. Yes, yeah, so A Bug's Life is quite literally Seven Samurai. 
it's think about it. It is a it is the colony of ants right. being harassed by this mob of grasshoppers who seek oh. out the help of these supposed warriors, really the circus bugs, That's right. to fight them off. Um, it is very, very much basically never, Seven Samurai. Never would have thought of that. Now there's so that spawned all sorts of things, which is generally just the trope of collecting these warriors or having like these old sort of gunslingers or something come protect your town, things like that. Mm -hmm. That's kind of where we'll leave off on the Seven Samurai part. Right. Um, although I highly suggest checking out that film. It is available through Criterion or other means, um, as well as there's an anime called Samurai 7, which is an, a direct adaptation, oh, right. uh, but it's like a steampunk anime thing, so there's robots and stuff. It's great. That's cool. Um, as well as, of course, The Magnificent Seven, which we'll talk about now. Mm -hmm. So, The Magnificent Seven, the film's title comes from the initial American localization of Seven Samurai, which was initially released under the title The Magnificent Seven in the United States in 1955. So when it mm -hmm. came over with, like, subtitles and stuff, it was called The Magnificent Seven instead of Seven Samurai. And that's where the title for this movie comes from. Right. Now, this movie was very successful. Mm -hmm. um, it's kind of... The way that it was sort of explained in sort of this making of documentary that I watched is that this came in 1960, sort of at the beginning of the end of the Westerns as we knew it. Right. Because this was before uh, the Clint Eastwood, Sergio Leone spaghetti Westerns started taking over mm -hmm. and kind of became the big thing. But it was also sort of when TV was starting to have a lot of Westerns come too, and then the genre sort of died out after that. Is this is this in the midst or after um uh what what's his name john wayne yeah uh this would kind of be towards the end of john yeah. wayne okay. john wayne times uh, i mean he was still doing things but again this is like getting towards the end of that and his yeah. career definitely started before that and was kind yeah. of ending towards the end of he it. wasn't quite as, as young and snappy as right previously yeah because he you mentioned true grit and he's in the original true grit that's right yeah he's rooster cogburn that's right um <laughs> anyway, so uh, this movie was so successful, it spawned three sequels and a TV show that came almost tw 20 uh, years after like the final sequel or something. Oh, wow. uh, it was like 98 to 2000 or something like that. So almost 40 years after the original movie. That's insane. Um, it was also... A little bit of information and this this is harder to kind of find but it's sort of you know you can logically kind of make a connection to it but basically somebody did claim that um while this was a remake of seven samurai seven samurai was in turn uh, akira kurosawa was inspired by the western films of like john ford for example of like the early 50s um or even before that that you know maybe that's kind of where he got some of the touches from yeah I'm sure that's probably true to some degree. I can't say for certain that I found it anywhere, but it, it would make a lot of sense. Um, now, the movie itself has a crazy sort of history as far as multiple people claim to have been the person to get the rights to Seven Samurai to make an American version. And they're mm -hmm. all connected to this movie that ended up getting made. But... 
basically Yule Brenner, who we'll talk about in a little bit, who played the lead role, mm-hmm. um, claimed that he saw Seven Samurai at some sort of screening or something and immediately called his lawyer in Japan. I'm not sure why he had a lawyer in Japan, but that's what he said, to buy the rights. And he said that he got faxed over uh, basically confirmation that he had the rights. However, the true understanding of it is that this man named uh, Lou Morham, Morham, Morheim, acquired the rights to remake the film in the U.S. for $2,500. He then later signed a deal with Yule Brenner's production company, who bought the rights from him for $10,000 up front, plus $1,000 a week as a producer, okay. and 5% of the net profits. So he made, he made bank geez. off this. Yeah. Wow. Um, there was a lot of additional stuff, too. Uh, like, Yul Brenner was originally supposed to actually direct the movie, but ended up not directing it. Um, there was a legal battle where a different guy was supposed to be the lead role, but because Yul Brenner ended up deciding to act in it versus, or was put in acting instead of directing, that guy sued, but oh, his geez. lawsuit didn't go anywhere because, I guess, like, it never officially actually started. Yeah. Crazy things. Um, from there, the direct, uh, the original, the producer, uh, Morum, had commissioned writer Walter Bernstein who was a blacklisted screenwriter. So this is coming out of uh, after World War II Mm -hmm. into, like, the Cold War, the Red Scare. There were blacklisted writers and stuff from Hollywood. And uh, Walter Bernstein was one, but he was commissioned to write a first draft. And what he came up with was extremely faithful to the source source material. Mm -hmm. Um, Just slightly changed to be more, you know, like, Wild West, Cowboys... Mexicans, uh, Mexico sort of things. Yeah. Um, so slightly changed, but a, a really faithful adaptation. When Brenner went to a producer, um, uh, Murish, I'm sure I'm going to butcher a lot of these last names, um, they ended up taking, uh, when he took over production, they brought in the writer Walter Newman whose version is what we largely see on screen. Uh, But, it gets even crazier, before this movie started filming, there there was another film that came out that Mexico absolutely hated. Like, it's reported that it was so offensive to Mexico that when, at screenings in Mexico, people literally ripped their seats out of the floor and threw them at the screen. So Mexico, as far as filming there, was very, like, had really tight restrictions because of that. And when they started to film the movie, Mexican, uh, Mexico's censorship had a lot of things of, like, we don't want you to do this, we don't want this, we won't allow that. So they had to change the script. And because Walter Newman was not available to be on location to doctor the script or make these changes... They brought in another writer named William Roberts to fix, put in those little changes and stuff. And eventually, Roberts uh, was asked, or asked the Writers Guild to get credit for being a writer of this. Yeah. Because he had to end up, he did so much to it eventually. And when it was revealed that he was going to get co-credits for the screenplay, Walter Newman said, if I'm not the only credit, I don't want credit. 
So he was removed from the credits. So the screenplay is only credited to William Roberts, even though technically Walter Newman did, let's say, like 90% of the work, and That's Roberts shitty. only did like 10%. What a lousy thing to do. It, it is what it is. Jeez. <laughs> um, um, there was also an actor strike that mm. started just before production of this happened. So there was a chance of, like, it almost wasn't going to get off the ground anyway, um, which is pretty hilarious. Wow, that's, that is crazy. There's a lot of, like, behind the scenes, like, small things that you never really know unless you watch, like, these behind the scenes stuff or look it up. Um, But it is very interesting. Um, The the censorship stuff's pretty funny, and we'll kind of talk about it a little bit. I mean, it's not necessarily funny, but I understand kind of where they're coming from. They didn't want to, like, be made, like, the the butt of a joke or yeah, something. Um, didn't want anyone to get offended. Right. And I don't necessarily think that they come out that way, especially with this no, no, movie. Um, now, one last thing kind of before we start getting into this. At one point in time, The Magnificent Seven was... The second most played movie on American TV. That's crazy. Like, they just were playing all the damn time. Just, like, on repeat? Just on repeat. (laughs) On whatever the old Western channel was. Whatever station probably played, like, uh, what was it, Bonanza? Was that the Western show? Yeah. Like, TCM or something like that? I don't know. I just remember I went someplace one time with a... Like, to drop somebody off for something. And for whatever reason, the in the lobby of this place, the TV was on a channel that was, like, playing... I, I keep wanting to say Bonanza, but I don't know if it was Bonanza or if it was something else. It's an old Western show that yeah. they just played, like, 40 episodes back-to-back. Yeah, my dad likes to... He'll put on whatever the Turner Classic channel is and just kind of let him just roll off. So. Yeah, Bonanza. That was the Western show. It had 14 seasons. Oh, wow. But also, again, totally random that I brought that up because it was just on top of my head. But that is also a show that started in 1959, just before this movie came out. And that's what I was saying at the beginning, where this movie came out sort of at a pivotal time mm-hmm. of the decline of the Western genre. Right. Because TV was becoming a bigger thing, right. and there were Western TV shows like that one, which was super successful, um, and then the spaghetti Western yeah. stuff that yeah. it went into. Then suddenly everyone's dads could sit in their big, oversized, lazy mm-hmm. lounger chairs and smoke cigarettes at home and, and watch TV, watch movies from the living room. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's the dream. <laughs> the dream. <laughs> um, Anyway, the so I think one last thing kind of before we talk about the actual movie itself is kind of this is a pretty star-studded cast and quite a few of these people this movie is very early on in their careers right. to where they would go on to be like really big stars. Right. Um, and some people might not be aware of that because uh, a couple of these names you may know of but maybe you've not seen any of their work before. Mm-hmm. Uh, just because they are older and a lot of them died relatively young or have... Mm-hmm. Uh, I read something that all of the, like, central cast, the actors mm-hmm. of the central cast, not the main seven, but, like, the 
you know, if you were to like look up on Wikipedia, the first like fifteen people or something at least right. have all died oh. as of twenty sixteen or something. Like every single one of them has has died. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so the first is going to be the lead, and I've already mentioned it before, but that's going to be Yul Brenner, who uh, very well known actor. Um, it was in many, many, many things. And his very second role that he did, feature film-wise, was The King and I, for which right. he won Best Actor Award. Um, I knew about that one. Mm-hmm. And he was also in The Ten Commandments as Ramses, so the bad guy of The oh, Ten yeah, Commandments. Oh, yeah, that's right. He was in Anastasia, so a lot of those were early in his career. And then a couple years later, he does The Magnificent Seven. Um, he goes on from there. He does a lot of westerns and stuff. Um, leading up to what could potentially be his most... I don't know. It's hard to say that his most well-known, but I feel mm-hmm. like this specific thing got revitalized with a very popular HBO television show called The West World. Yeah. The 1973 movie The West World starred Yul Brenner as the gun, gunslinger. Yeah. Um, uh, which was like the man... the cowboy all in black yep. and stuff and i mentioned this to you when we started watching the movie you were like oh he looks so cool yeah and i was like i was like yeah but you know he's also the guy from the west world movie which was the black yeah. cowboy like hat black shirt black i was all like that stuff. i was like oh my god i watched that i love that character well i didn't love him because he's kind of a bad guy but yeah, yeah i love him in the way but yeah he looked he just he just looks cool. Yeah, so he did a lot of things, and he unfortunately did die pretty young from, I think, well, I say young, he was like 65 or something, but yeah. um, I'm, I think it might have been cancer or something, if I'm mm-hmm. not mistaken. Um, and then... Very, very talented. Yes. We also have, from there, Steve McQueen, yeah. who Steve McQueen, and I always have to I say this for modern audiences, uh... Not to be confused with the director, Steve McQueen. Right. Uh, actor Steve McQueen. Uh, in 1960, before this movie, he had done... He'd done a few things, like but very like tiny bit roles over the course of like four or five years. Mm-hmm. Very small roles. He had done many TV shows. Uh, mostly like something you'd see now where somebody showed up on like every 50 episodes, every 50 different versions of Law and Order or something. Yeah. Steve McQueen did a lot of like small appearances on a single episode of a show of a show of a show of a show, eventually getting a leading role in a show called Wanted Dead or Alive, Mm -hmm. which started in 1958. So that was like his first big sort of thing where he was like centrally starring something. That was right before Magnificent Seven. Once he did Magnificent Seven, and it was so successful, he went on to do many, many, many other things that he's known for, such as The Great Escape. Yeah. Um, and I did, I did ask while we were watching, I was like, is that his real like legal name? <laughs> because with a name like that, you, you had to get into acting. That is, a, that is the most Hollywood name ever. Yeah. Uh, We also have um, Charles Brunson. Uh, This is, again, going to be a name that maybe some modern people wouldn't be too familiar of. Uh, He had done a bunch of stuff leading up to this, but it wasn't until after this that he kind of hit some of those bigger roles. Again, he was also in The Great Escape. Tons of people were in The Great Escape. But he would go on to do 
like the Dirty Dozen, and then the Death Wish movies, which, if that sounds familiar, is because Bruce Willis, recent, uh, I say recently, maybe like five, six years ago or something like that, did a remake of Death Wish, which was originally a Charles Brunson film. Um, So he did all those sort of Death Wish movies. There's a bunch of, Mm -hmm. like five or six of them, whatever it might be. Um, James uh, Coburn, similar sort of situation. Again, very early on in his career. This is like the third movie he had ever done. Mm -hmm. And then he'd go on to do, of course, guess what he showed up in? The Great Escape. Of course. Uh, As well as doing a bunch of other stuff. Um, Probably most well-known for... In 1997, he was in the movie Affliction, for which he won Best Support... Uh, he got nominated for Best Supporting Actor for that role. Um, but he has, he's been in tons of stuff since then. So, okay. And then you get a couple other people uh, also in here who have similar sort of situations. You got uh, Eli Wallach, Robert Vaughn, Hor- uh, Horse Bol- Buckles... His is the worst name. It's just, he's, he's German. He's the kid who plays Chico. He's the young guy. Uh, he's a German playing a kid who's supposed to be, like, Latino. Hilarious. That is interesting. Uh, and then Brad Dexter, they sort of round out our central kind of cast. Um, directed by John Sturgis. Uh, we already went over the writers and everything. And then music by Elmer Bernstein. Uh, just notable to bring that up because the score for this movie is very, very well received. Um, gets a lot of acclaim for it. Um, and at the 33rd Academy Awards, the score was nominated for Best Score, um, although it did lose, unfortunately. Does it say who it lost to? It lost to uh, Ernest Gold's score for the movie Exodus. No idea. Um, in 2005, the score was listed as the number eight on America, American Film Institute's list of the top 25 American film scores. So, anyway, it's still very, very popular right. regardless. So, I think that's enough talking about the behind-the-scenes sort of stuff with this film. We can kind of just get into it and start talking about the actual movie itself. It really, It really is a great soundtrack, though. That was... One of my the first things that I I wrote down was how, like even even now I think a lot of those songs really hit and they did a really good job of making those tense scenes even more intense. Yeah. Very very good soundtrack. Uh, so the film was released on October twelfth, nineteen sixty. It has a runtime of uh, one hundred and twenty eight minutes, so just over two hours. Uh, And it has, as of 2013, been uh, selected for preservation by the United States National Film Registry, by the Library of Congress, as being culturally, historically, and aesthetically significant. Now, for the movie itself, we'll just kind of jump into the movie. The movie opens up, and we see these bandits... Well, we don't really know that they're bandits at this point, but we see a bunch of people on horseback riding into this small farming village. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they just start stealing shit. They yeah. literally are just walking into these people's little houses and like bars and whatever everything. and just, just taking things out of it. Yeah. Um, and we meet the 
the guy who's sort of leading the charge here, he sort of sits down with um, kind of like the the town leader, if, if that's what you want to call him. It's kind of like a little mayor or something, but I guess he's, he's the, the head honcho. Yeah. Um, and he sits down and he kind of tells them, look, we're going to take whatever we want, mm-hmm. uh, and then we're going to come back for the rest tomorrow. Yeah. Don't try and stop us. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and as they're going to leave, one of the town's people kind of fed up with it, takes his machete. Yeah. As they say it like Ma- three times. Machete. 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 <laughs> uh, and tries to charge these like 40 men yeah. just to get gunned down. And then they're just like, what a fool. Yeah. What why, a fool. why would you even try? Uh, so they leave. And the town's... The farmers of the small town are kind of fed up with it. They all kind of come out and they're just like, yeah. we got to do something. Well, what do we do? We got to fight back. Or maybe we just move. And they're yeah. like, well, we can't move our houses or our crops or anything like that. Um, I, I love it because they're going back and forth on how unfair and unjust this all is. And there's one character that I made a note of that you can tell like these bandits, these bad guys are just gaslighting the shit out of the villagers. Because one of them just kind of, like, meekly speak, speaks up. And he's like, well, they don't take all of our stuff. They leave a tiny bit. <laughs> they, like, leave, they leave shush. enough for us. Yeah, yeah. They, they, they don't take everything. So maybe we just leave things the way that they are. Yeah. I thought that made me laugh so hard. Um, but they are tired of it. So they decide to talk to, like, the town elder. Uh, they go to this old man, <laughs> the oldest man of yeah. the town. Lives up on a hill. Just... I guess that's maybe that's what we should do with our old people. Is just put them out put them on up. a hill. Put them out just, to pasture up on a hill. Just put them up on a hill. Let them live their life and yeah. go up there for insight some, now some, and then. Some I guess little pearls of knowledge every couple months. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the elder just straight up tells them to fight. He's like, "Fight back." Yeah. Fight them, and they're like, "Well, how?" And he goes, "Okay, well, how about we go by go by guns?" This. Uh, the go by guns thing is a departure from the original story. Really? Uh, in Seven Samurai, it's not go by swords. It's go look for somebody to help us. Ah. Go find somebody to help us. And they go find um, a samurai who helps them find other samurai and come back and whatever. The censorship in Mexico did not want a representation of Mexican citizens going to America to, like, white people for their rescue. Um, so that part had to be removed, and their workaround for it was, okay, we'll just have them say, well, just go buy guns. You'll yeah. defend yourself. And then through the course of that, they'll end up just, well, maybe you guys could just help us yeah. at the same time. The old uh, guy is also very just kind of matter-of-factly about it, too. He's like, I don't know. Like, use your heads. Just go buy some weapon. <laughs> Yeah. He says, go buy guns from the border. They've yeah. got tons of them up there. Yeah. Uh, still very true. <laughs> still very true. Um, he gives them, they're like, well, how are we going to buy it? And he gives them like a little trinket to go sell to get some money. It's like a pocket watch or a necklace yeah. or something. Uh, so these three farmers go off to what we assume is texas yeah. or something somewhere in america it's pretty nondescript yeah. but there is a line about texas at one point so we'll just say it's texas for this you know whatever texas um they get into this town and as they roll into this town 
Um, they were also, the censorship did not want them to look dirty or anything, which is why when they get into town, they look like they're in, like, brand new clothes. They're nice and clean, White. no dirt or anything. Um, they get into town, and the very first thing they hear is this undertaker comes out of his little morgue or whatever you'd call it and tells these two people, we can't bury him. (laughs) And we have this whole dialogue of these two guys being like, what? Why can't you bury him? We already paid you. And they're like, well, I mean, I would bury anybody here, but I can't. (laughs) Uh, And you come to learn that the reason he's refusing to is because some people in that town do not want to bury this body because it's the body of a Native American Mm -hmm. and they're refusing to let him be buried in their town. Uh, Just, you know, good old-fashioned American racism. So, the... Basically, the people who are paying for it are like, well, what? there's got to be something that can be done. And out of nowhere, um, basically, the Undertaker just goes, well, we're not driving our, our little... Hearst yeah. wagon up this hill to the thing, and from the crowd we hear somebody go, "Is that all? If that's all that's needed, I'll drive it." Yeah. And out steps Yule Brenner yeah. again, black cowboy hat, black shirt, black pants, full on black, looking like a straight up boss. <laughs> he says, "I'll do it." And as he's walking over, all of a sudden we hear, we see Steve McQueen go, "Hey, let me borrow your uh, your your." buckshot or, or yeah. that's definitely not what he calls it but let me grab your your shotgun your scatter shot or mm-hmm. something uh from this local farmer and the guys like all right sure whatever your death wish yeah and the two of them get onto the carriage and they start riding up the hill really slow it's kind of building this tension the whole town's watching with the yes the whole town's watching because the idea is like the people who don't want this happen yeah are going to do something to stop it from happening right so they're kind of on on their way up this hill, really slow. It's not a steep hill. It's not much of anything. It's just this tiny little hill. And as they're going through it, um, Steve McQueen shoots shoots out a window because yeah. he thinks somebody's there. And then they're still going. We do get a glance backwards. We do see all of the town, including our three farmers, mm-hmm. are watching. But then there's also this young-looking cowboy guy... Yeah who's much closer than everybody else and kind of giddy at, like, what's happening. Yeah. He's, like, um, he's fangirling. And as we start getting to the top of the hill near the cemetery, we start to see some men coming over, like, the horizon. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, here they come. Uh, and as we get up there, there's a little bit of a standoff. There's, like, six men standing there going, we're not going to let you bury, put him here. And he's like, okay, well... Try and stop us then, basically. Yeah. And as two of them go to pull their guns, uh, Chris, the lead character, played by Gil Brenner, draws his pistol, shoots one of them in like, the shoulder and the other one in the hand yeah. to get them to both drop their guns. And then nobody really moves for a second. Yeah. And they decide, alright, fine, and kind of go their yeah. separate mind. ways. Uh, he turns back and yells, we'll need six men up here to move yeah. this casket. Some people come up, take the casket, everything's been settled. Easy peasy. They're like, see, that wasn't so hard. Yeah. 
they then ride the wagon back down. One of those rich men who was trying to bury the body comes over, offers them, uh, hey, here, here, I'll buy you guys some drinks. Here's, here you yeah. go. Um, there's a great little moment where he's like, where he asks uh, Chris, like, where are you from? Yeah. And he doesn't say a word. He just points behind him. Yeah. And then he goes, where are you going? And he just points in front of him. And it's like, hmm, cryptic. Okay. He's like, sounds good to me. That's cool. That's all I need to know after what I just saw. And he's just handing him like this, you know, that that classic Western glass bottle that's got no label on it. Mm -hmm. It's just (laughs) some strange liquid. Yeah, we find out here as well that Steve McQueen's character's name is Vin. Mm -hmm. uh, Because he asks him what his name is. Uh, and then shortly after this, our three farmers uh, go to like this hotel room that Chris is staying in, and they ask him for help. Yeah. Not his direct help for protecting the village, but help in buying guns. Right. Um, they're like, we got this. It's probably worth some gold. Uh, we could get some guns, but we don't know how to use guns. So We need you your know, expertise. Maybe you could give us some advice or something. And he's like, oh, Okay, uh, he's like, look, I'll I'll put out the word, mm-hmm. see if we can't get some help or something, but we'll see. He kind of has an air of, like, don't keep your hopes up. Yeah. He, we get a weird cut. I find this part, it's like a weird transition here. There's a weird cut where, because he leaves the room, which is him like, okay, I'll go put out the word. I'll go tell somebody at the bar and then, yeah. you know, word of mouth, whatever. And it cuts immediately to him coming from, like, the other side of the room and, like, pouring in, like, tea or something into the cup. So it's a weird transition. But the the point is, like, time is supposed to have passed. Right. This is where... um, So now they've sort of set up, like, this office, basically. Yeah. Waiting for people to show up who want to answer the call. Headquarters. And the first person to show up is that young cowboy we saw earlier. Yeah. Um, He looks... I said this to you while we were watching the movie, that when you imagine in your head, like, what does a cowboy look like? You're thinking exactly what this kid looks like. Like, he's got his hat on, he's got, like, a little handkerchief sort of thing, Mm -hmm. he's got the long button down, he's got the vest, uh, his cowboy, you know, his pants, Mm -hmm. his... His chaps, his belt. His belt buckle, Mm -hmm. his holster, whatever. Very, like, I'm trying to be a cowboy sort of look. Like, I just went out and got all of this because I saw a picture once, and this is what a cowboy equals to me. Yeah. Uh, so, Chris goes, okay, well, we'll, we'll test you mm-hmm. to see if you're up to snuff, basically. And he tells him to hold his arms out mm-hmm. and then clap. Yeah. So he claps, and he goes, okay, faster. And he claps again, and he goes, okay, do it as fast as you possibly can. Yeah. And as he goes to clap... He pulls his gun on him to show that he's able to draw his gun faster than he can stop him from doing it. Yeah. Which tells him that, look, kid, you're not ready for this, okay? And And he he, storms off. He kind of throws a little hissy fit. He throws a temper tantrum. He did not want to hear that. He he wants to be one of the guys, you know? Yeah. Um, We get a knock on the door shortly after that. But this time, there's something different about the knock. So Chris kind of hides behind the door. And tells the cowboys to, cowboys, tells the farmers to come in. Yeah. The door opens. Nobody walks in. And you're like, ooh, what's happening? He kind of like, he looks around the door. 
doesn't see anyone, kind of comes out. And over in the corner on the side of the door is a man named Harry, who's an old acquaintance of Chris's, who has heard about this job, and he wants to know what it pays. Uh, And he's explained that uh, it's $20 Mm -hmm. for about four to six weeks. You'll get room and board and food, room, board, same thing. You get food and board while you're there. Uh, and that's it. There's nothing more. It's just that. And Harry, for some reason, thinks that there's a there's secret. There's gold. Yeah. There's silver. There's something. They there's they had to have these mines. There's something else because yeah. he's he's a fortune seeking person who just has it in his head that there's something more to it. Yeah. So he's fine with the supposed upfront the just the twenty dollars uh, because he's confident that there's something more. Yeah. And they have, like, this really funny chemistry of, like, old college friends. Yeah. I, I thought he was really funny. But he's like, yeah, $20, sure. <laughs> even even though he's literally told wait, to space, no, it's only $20. Yeah. He's like, yeah, $20, sure. all right. Whatever you say. Um, I think the idea is he's supposed to know Chris so well that he's like, you would not do a job for just $20. Yeah. Um, the next thing we see, we're at this bar... Uh, and in the bar, uh, the saloon, I guess, uh, we see Vin walk in. And Vin's got some money. He goes over to, like, a craps table. Mm-hmm. And he spends all of his money on one roll of the dice and loses. Um, Chris buys him a drink, so he comes and sits down. And Vin's like, yeah, I heard about this job about protecting some farmers uh, for, like, six weeks for $20 or something. And Chris is like, yep, that's a job we're looking for people to do. Yep. And Vin's like, oh. Well, how many do you have currently? And he just holds up a one. finger of one, one. And then Vin holds up fingers of two yeah. to signify that, sure, I'll do it. Which ends up being a really cute little thing that they do throughout we do, the Yeah, we do see it the rest of the time where they're counting how many people they have with them. Um, they only ever just hold up their, their hands. Yeah. Uh, from there, it's kind of th- this duo uh, mm-hmm. of Chris and Vin kind of going off to find the rest of the people. Um, one thing I will say that I think would have been kind of more fun to see is if, because the only people, the only person they say no to is the young cowboy at yeah, first. They, they tell, they tell Chico no, but we don't see any other like gunslingers or people trying to show up and say things. There's the one time in the saloon that the one farmer goes, Oh, look at that guy. He's got all these scars and stuff on his face. Oh, and the yeah. other one goes, no, we want the man who did that to him. Right, yeah. But there's no, like, somebody else just showing up and being like, hey, I, I want in on this yeah. job. And obviously, there's no telling what he said the job was going to be outside of, we're looking for some men yeah. to do this thing. We're trying to recruit. Because I doubt, if you're looking for people, you don't put out $20 for six weeks. Yeah. You might die. And you, you might get killed. <laughs> um but we don't see them talk to anybody else or turn anyone else down. I think that would be a good uh, thing to add on. And then, uh, so from there, we get Vin and Chris going out. And they go to look for a man that they've heard of called O'Reilly. And they come up to this house. <clears throat> and they go in the back. And they hear somebody chopping wood. So... The man chopping wood is O'Reilly, mm-hmm. uh, played by Charles Brunson. Uh, pretty, like, 
big dude in comparison to everybody else. He totally reminded me of that scene from one of the Avengers movies where, wasn't it like Captain America was chopping wood and he was just being like a real burly man-man? Yeah. That's totally what that scene reminded me of. <laughs> and I, I, I said that out loud. I'm pretty sure he was literally chopping wood. It looked very real. I mean, I don't see why he wouldn't be. Yeah. Um, so they go to him and he basically is like, okay, well, what's the job? I don't want. I don't want to do jobs. My last job I did paid me six hundred dollars. Yeah. Job before that seven hundred dollars. Yeah. I'm like, what's this one pay? Twenty dollars. Two zero. And he's like, uh, okay, no. And then they go to leave, and then he goes, all right, I'll do the job. Yeah, he's like, twenty. No, he says something like, oh, twenty dollars. Oh yeah, twenty dollars is a lot because yeah. he doesn't have anything going yeah. on. Yeah. I guess that's a lot, which I totally thought at that time twenty dollars was a lot. Not not in comparison to when he was saying he got paid seven hundred dollars or eight hundred dollars for previous jobs. Um, From there, they kind of ride back into town. It's not actually really clear where they're going at this point, because it seems more like instead of just putting the word out and people coming to them, Chris is basically fully accepted at this point that he's just taking part and he's just going to find people that he knows or has heard of. So. They they roll up on this scene, and this is, there's a bunch of guys just sitting around, and a couple of them are making, like, a wager. Oh, I bet you can do this. No, I, I bet you won't be able to do this. Yeah. And there's the one guy in the background with that dumb laugh who's like, ha, 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 ha. <laughs> Just a doofus. And we see a man laying, sitting on the ground. His hat's kind of tilted over his face. He's, like, taking a nap. He's off by himself. He's not interested in any of their commotion. And this guy comes up to him and goes, hey, I'm, I want to wager against you. Uh, basically, I think I can draw and shoot faster than you can. Because yeah. they didn't re- say it at first, but you see a couple people lean to him and he's like, that can't be true. You heard what about this guy? Yeah. There's no way that's true. So the guy gets up, doesn't say a word, walks over, puts a cup on top of a, a fence, stands next to it. Points to the guy to go to the other side. The guy goes over to the other side. He tells him to stand closer to this, like, telephone pole. Leaning post? No, it's definitely a pole of some sort. I don't know. I don't know what it is. I don't know. It's some sort of big post. And here, they're like, okay, tell us when you're ready. And somebody in the crowd shoots off his gun. (laughs) And it's shown he wasn't drawing for pistols to shoot. He threw a knife into the post right next to the guy's head while the guy shot the cup. Yeah, was not expecting that. And it was very close, so much so that the guy's like, I won that, who won that? And people are like, I don't, I, I don't know, I don't know, I think he did. And then he finally asks him, and he goes, I won. And he sits back down, puts his cap over his head, tries to go back, yeah, take a nap again. He wants to go back to his nap. He's so unbothered. Now this is, this is James Coburn, who plays this character, Britt. And... <laughs> When the guy gets angry that he's probably lost, he comes over and shoots between his legs and around his legs and goes, get up, we're doing it for real, or I will shoot you as you sit there. Yeah. So he gets up, goes over, points again, the guy goes over, and this still time it's for said, real. Still hasn't said a word. No, he, he said you lost. Oh, he, yeah, he did. That's he, like all he said. Yeah, he's like, lost. And the guy goes, okay, call it again. And this other dude's like... I, I don't want to be a part of this. I don't want yeah. you to get killed because you're yeah. being stupid. And the then Britt goes, call it. Mm-hmm. So the guy 
shoots his gun, and Britt throws a knife right into the dude's chest before he can shoot. Like, you should have left him alone. Uh, and as everybody goes to check over on that guy, he just kind of picks up his saddle and his, like, little carpet thing and, and starts walking off, and he mm-hmm. sees Chris and goes, Hey, Chris! Yeah. Like, hey, Britt. So they know each other. Right. Um, basically, he tells him of... They offer him the job. Mm-hmm. He's like, alright, cool, whatever. Um... Well, actually, I don't think he necessarily joins right away, but they tell him about the job. Um, from there is where we're in the saloon, right. and it's most of the guys we know currently sitting there, plus the three farmers. So we've got Chris, Vin, uh, O'Reilly, and Harry are sitting there, right. and the three farmers. And in comes the young cowboy again, this time extremely drunk. Very drunk. Basically demanding that they take him seriously. Uh, He draws his gun on them. And to just show that they don't think of him as like an equal or aren't really afraid of him in any sort of way, they all just sort of ignore him. Yeah. Um, Which makes him even matter. Harry stands up for a second, but O'Reilly kind of gets him to sit back down. And Chris just basically ignores him, even though he's like holding his gun straight at his head. Yeah. And he kind of realizes, he comes to, like, a self-realization that, like, he's not anything to them. Yeah. Um, He's just a kid to them. And he sort of falls over on the counter and just passes out. Yeah. (laughs) He's so drunk that he passes out. He's done. Um, And as soon as that finishes, Britt walks into the door and he goes, all right, I'm in. They also also make a point. So that point they got. Five. Five. Hold, hold it up. I like it too that when the when the kid when Chico just flops over and passes out, that one of the guys picks up his gun and hands it to the bartender and, <laughs> and is says, like, "Give it to him when he wakes he, up." He can have this back later. He can't be trusted with big boy toys right now. Yeah. Uh, so after that, we get Chris and Vin are walking back to like their hotel room or whatever it is mm-hmm. that they're staying at, and as they're walking in, the clerk or the the bell desk person mm-hmm. whatever receptionist i don't know what you'd call him back then mm-hmm. the the proprietor of the hotel yeah. tells him uh hey, there's a man waiting for you he says he's an old friend so they go in they open the door and inside this door is this guy just sitting there yeah. looking like a cool character a cool cat real cool guy <laughs> and he's just like hey chris He's like, oh, hey, Lee. And he's like, hey, I heard, I heard you're doing the job, and I want in. He's like, weren't you weren't you looking for the Vasquez brothers or something? Yeah. He's like, I found them. <laughs> I found them. But they're not living anymore, so. Also terrible hotel security. Yeah. Just letting people in your room. Um, so he's just looking for something new. It's kind of revealed that he's, like, trying to get away from something. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he's like, hey, I'll... I gotta get out of town, because I can't be found here, but meet me here, pick me up, I'm with you. And at this point, Chris holds up, we got six. And we got six. But Vin holds up a five, and he does a little, like, kinda. Like, so. a little iffy. So-so. I'm not really quite sure if we can call this six just yet. I thought that was hilarious. Uh, He also, Lee also says, I need to be paid in advance. Yeah. Um, But he's still on board. So, they leave the next morning. It's the six of them, the three farmers, and they've got a tail. They realize 
that the young cowboys have been following their trail. He's a little bit far back, but they can see him. He's not great at hiding. Yeah, so they're just keeping an eye on it. And basically they're just going and they're like, should we maybe, you know, give him some food or something? They're like, no, let him be. If he he wants to follow us or whatever, he's just going to have to deal deal with it himself. Mm -hmm. And as they go out in the morning, um, this part I don't think was very clear either. It's not clear if he goes ahead of them or if they're going somewhere and then they're coming back and he just stayed there all night. But basically... He, the young cowboy, Chico's at a river, and we see him catch some fish. With his bare hands. And when we next see sort of the whole group of everyone come up, there's a string of a bunch of fish hanging from a tree, and then they see Chico over there by himself cooking a fish and kind of like holds up, like, I got all these, you guys can have some. Yeah. And at that point, Chris is like, all right, come on over, you're in. You're in. He... Don't know how long he was out there at that river or creek, but just barehandedly catching like twenty-five fish. Like, okay, maybe you can hold your own a little bit better. Yeah. But yeah, he he did have that little air of like a little kid following a you know a group of people like peering behind a tree or over a rock or whatever. Yeah, and this this is a good uh, one thing I like about Seven Samurai and like the anime Samurai Seven uh, and even this. Is the way that it's it depict you've got like the sort of grizzled veterans, mm-hmm. um, or like the lead guy is always sort of like it's clear that he's a very competent. Yeah. Under he understands sort of the situation. He knows what he's capable of. He can tell what other people are capable he's of. Very logical. He, he he either makes friends or knows these other people who also have dealt with like war situations or mm-hmm. gunslingers or something like in. Um, uh, some of it, like, originally was supposed to be, they not, weren't necessarily just, like, cowboys, gunslingers. Mm-hmm. They're supposed to be, like, Civil War veterans or something right. to give them sort of the military combat. That goes back to a more faithful adaptation, but that was, you know, just slightly changed. I did like that you kind of get some of those ideas that they've been through some stuff, like how... Right, and that's that's what I like because you have... You have that with some of them. It's mm-hmm. clear that they know stuff or seen things and they're like these older veterans yeah. who know things. And then you have the young guy who very clearly is like, he isn't one of them, mm-hmm. but he wants to be like them. Yeah. Um, and that's a great story beat in this for Chico's character that'll come back later in, in, a, in like a great scene. It's also one of those things I never really, when I thought about cowboys and stuff, I wasn't thinking about them having like, PTSD or anxiety <laughs> or trouble, you know, sleeping or whatever. Yeah. And this movie does a good job of, of putting that in there. Yeah. Um, so our band of heroes, uh, if you call them that, gets to the town, and the town's basically deserted. And we're just like, where, like, where is everybody? We yeah. came here to help you guys, and you're all like afraid of us. Like, what's going on? And Chico goes up to their bell tower at the church. Rings the bell, which is supposed to be their alarm that the that uh, uh, Calvera is coming. Yeah, his, the bad his, guys are his coming. bandits are coming, and everybody comes outside. And Chico just puts on this grand thing like, "You hired us yeah. to come help you, and this is your your welcome." Yeah. Like, it, what are you doing? And it was so great because when the bell was going off, some of the townspeople were like, "Who is doing that? Who who's touching that? Who is doing that?" And they're getting upset, and now we suddenly see Chico, where up until now, I feel like we were seeing him as, like, a kid who's, you know, sloppy and not 
all intelligent, maybe. Um, and he takes it upon himself to make this big speech in front of the townspeople, and you're seeing the other members of the group kind of, like, look at each other and lean on the saddles on their horses, and they're like, okay, let's look at him go. Yeah. Go, Chico! <laughs> go, Chico. They don't say that. <laughs> um, so the townspeople kind of invite them in at this point. Yeah. And, and they're like, you're right. And, like, the town leader basically goes, look, tomorrow... Uh, or maybe it's the elders, like, look, tomorrow's going to be a festival of the anniversary of the town. Just hang out. You'll get to kind of see everything, and, mm-hmm. and, and they'll kind of open up a little bit more to you, so it'll all be good. Um, so we do cut to the next day. We do see the festival. There is a moment where there's dialogue between Vin and Harry, I believe, where Vin says, you know, I've, I've been to towns that had... Uh, not the prettiest women. Yeah. I've been to towns with the ugliest women. <laughs> yeah. But I've never seen a town with no women. No women. And it kind of points out to you at that point that, yeah, you're only really seeing men and kids yeah. currently. Um, there is, like, a woman almost immediately after that who's, yeah. like, maybe slightly younger, maybe, like, a teenager or something because she's kind of with the kids. Yeah. But it does kind of point out that, like, yeah, where are the women in this. Where the, like what, what? where the women at? Hey, where are the women at? Where are the, where women? Are the white women at? Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, we also see at this point, uh, O'Reilly, who we find out his name is Bernardo. Mm-hmm. So he's half uh, Latino, half Italian. Love that. Or half Irish? Oh yeah, Irish. I think Irish, yeah. Because yeah. um, O'Reilly, duh. <laughs> um, <laughs> He's, like, whittling a little whistle thing, Mm -hmm. and he kind of plays it for this little kid in front of him, and he offers it to her. Uh, So we see that he's kind of got, like, this sort of kindness to children. Kind of like a maternal, maybe. Paternal. Yeah, paternal. Because he's a father. Yeah. He would be a father. And the little girl at first looked at him like he was a yeti or something, and... (laughs) But then she kind of, like, warmed up and, and did take it and was like, oh, okay, thank you. So, and he's smiling the whole time, so he's made him feel really good about himself. Yeah, we then see a kid kind of run through the town, not really run, kind of walk through the town, and he goes over to one of the farmers, and he whispers something to the farmer, and the farmer says something to Chris, and Chris gets up, and as soon as Chris gets up and kind of starts slowly walking through the town, all of the other seven sort of realize something's going on. And they yeah. all kind of stand up and kind of move in motions to a certain way. And Chris tells uh, Britt to take Lee and that they spotted some, basically, scouts mm-hmm. from the, the gang of bandits uh, up over on, like, the river or something and to go go find them and bring back one of them. Yeah. So, so Britt and Lee leave to go do that. And, of course, because Chico wants to still prove himself, Chico kind of sneaks off behind them to go do it. And when Britt and Lee get up there, they don't see anybody. So Lee hides in, like, the sh- in like bushes or something out of the way while Britt kind of lays out in the open because yeah. he's just going to, you know, be there and, and waiting for them. And Chico hides in sort of the bushes as well. Or kind of. He thinks he is. He's he just kind of laying on is. the ground. Um, while they're doing that, <laughs> Chico is laying, like, right in the pathway of these 
gang members coming up. They walk yeah. right behind him. Yeah. Chico turns and kills one of them. And then Britt kills another one of them. And the third one's, like, running off on his horse. And Britt lines up a shot, and he shoots. And Chico's like, wow, that was, like, the greatest shot I've ever seen. And Britt's like, or the worst, I was aiming for the horse. <laughs> yeah. It was such a long distance, too. And the, the face that Chico had was just, like, a kid seeing a, just a movie star. Like, I can't believe <laughs> oh, you wow. just did that. That was so cool. But, that yeah, that line and the delivery of it was just hilarious. I was aiming for the horse. Yeah, so they, they can't bring anybody home because they <laughs> killed all three of yeah. them. Uh, and Chris kind of points out, like, uh, you know, there's a chance that they could have saw, saw us. They might know. <laughs> so we got to start preparing. They start to train the villagers on how to defend themselves. They're, like, giving them training on how to shoot pistols, how to shoot the rifles, uh, they're building, like, little basic defenses. They're putting up extra walls made yeah. out of stones around the town. They're putting up, like, these nettings and stuff <laughs> on pathways to kind of keep them trapped in there. And while they're doing all this, Chico goes off on his own. And Again. Chico's doing whatever. This scene seems so strangely out of place. And I it, love it, though. Um... <laughs> And apparently it was it was improvised. Was it really? Um, to some degree, there was supposed to be the shot of him like getting some water or something, yeah. uh, and then there was a cow or a bull there, and the, and the next part was supposedly improvised. That's what the actor oh, says, at least. That's funny. Um, so Ch- Chico's in a river. He's getting some drinks of water, and he looks up, and there's just this bull standing yeah. right in front of him. He's chilling. He gets off of his horse. He turns his cowboy hat sideways, <laughs> takes off his vest, and tries to be like a matador yeah. to be like, uh, and, what are they? Toro, yeah, Toro, Toro, Toro. And he's very clearly doing it just to entertain himself, and he's right. making these hilarious faces, and the way that he's doing it is just so silly, and he's like really trying to get the bull to engage with him, but it's just staring at him. Yeah, and it's kind of again sort of the to show that he's still basically a child. Yeah. Because that's not a safe thing to, to do. Because um, he's just like, during a situation where things are serious and everybody else is taking it serious, he's out in the woods kind of goofing off. He's playing He's playing with the bull. While he's doing that, he does notice that he's being spied on by some lady. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think he knows it's a lady, but just somebody Someone. who runs off. So he, he runs off after them. He cuts her off and grabs her and finds out that it's a girl. Yeah. And she's from the town. So he's like, oh... Okay, so there are women. Yeah. We found one of them. And he brings her back to town and shows Chris, like, look what I found. It's and a she's, woman. she's very feisty, too. She's trying to, you know, she slaps him a couple times because, you know, she's like, I don't know you. And, yeah. you know, you're these strangers in town. And she pushes him and he kind of, it, he doesn't, like, manhandle her, but he's very clearly like, I'm not really worried or threatened by you. And then when he does go to take her back to town, he just hurls her over his shoulder. Yeah. Um, when he does get there, Chris is like, okay, well, that answers one question. Yeah. Why are you hiding the women from us? And one of the farmers goes, well, they were, you know, the men were worried that you might rape them. Yeah. And he goes, we, we might, but I would hope you would have given us the benefit of the, the doubt. The doubt, yeah. Um, <laughs> kind of just signifying again that they're not necessarily like, hero heroes yeah um so yeah sure they could have done these things but they are here to help you so 
go get the rest of the women, bring them in town so everybody's here so we can protect everyone. Yeah. Not, you know, they just have them somewhere else and who knows what could actually happen to them. Yeah. So he's, he tells Chico to, to take her and yeah. go find them. And, and Steve McQueen walks over and, like, picks her up sideways. It was so and, like, cute. Ta- somehow, I don't know how she, like, she must have got her legs in, like, a saddle position or something. Because he, like, chunks he's, her. He's, and she lands, like, perfectly on the horse ready to go. What's so funny about that, too, is that he walks up to her and he, like, very politely goes, ma'am. And then he hurls her up on top of the horse. Like, I'm very sorry like, for what I'm about to very do. Very little effort. He yeah. just, like, whoop, right on top. She flew up on that thing. And then as they go off, she's, you know, still kind of sassy about it. Um, she goes like, doesn't he say something like, come on, Angel? Yeah. Or something like that. Uh, we then see, once they've brought all the women back in town, that uh, a couple of the seven are having, like, sitting down for dinner, basically. And they're being fed, like, some nice homemade meals yeah. of stuff. And uh, I don't remember who it is that comes in. Maybe, I don't think it was Harry. Maybe it was... Lee, perhaps, or or maybe even O'Reilly. One of them comes in and goes, "Have you guys not noticed that since we've been here, all the villagers of Eaton have been tortillas and beans?" Yeah. So they realize like they're getting this special treatment while they're basically starving themselves. Mm-hmm. So they go out and they're feeding the kids mm-hmm. the stuff that they were given. Very nice. And there is a very funny scene. Is that when she's serving them and Chico's sitting there and she like slops. she she slops down like six scoops of the food yeah. she's for still, some reason she's they, <laughs> I don't know how that's supposed to be an insult or anything to I them. think I think what it was because they're they've kind of got this real like sassy relationship now where they don't like each other and she's like mad at him for you know whatever and I think she she goes around and she serves each of the guys a spoonful and what I thought it was was that she serve Chico and I thought she was waiting for him to say thank you so or, she just kept doing it so she just kept going and he he was like playing with his fingernails so he wasn't paying her any attention they were flirting so, so yeah so then she it was kind, it's kind of like one of those you know pulling on the, her pigtails kind of thing they're annoying each other in a cute way so yeah he keeps ignoring her and she keeps spoonful so finally she just splats one down yeah uh, well, all the while that they're doing that, by the way, the guy across the table is just, like, watching them both. I forget mm-hmm. which guy. But he's, like, he's sensing whatever this weird tension, sexual tension is in the room. And he's like, okay. Uh, we then get to them going up to try and get the elder to move into the main town. And the elder refuses. Mm-hmm. Basically, he's just saying, like, look, I'm so old. They're yeah. not going to kill me. Yeah. It, it, it'd be a waste of bullets because they cost money. So don't worry about me. They're like they're not going to do anything to me. Just hap- focus on the town. What happens happens. Yeah. So they're back in the town, and this is the first time that Calvera shows up with his group while they're there. Mm-hmm. And he shows up, and he's basically like, "What are you guys doing? You think you think four of you is going to be enough for us?" And he's like, "Oh." Five of you? Mm-hmm. Six of you? Oh, seven of you. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Um, and he's like, you're just, you know, this is really causing a problem for me. And this is a line that I wrote down that Chris delivers back to him that I thought was, or Chris and, Chris and Vin say back to him. Uh, Chris goes, solving your problem isn't our line. And then Vin goes, <laughs> we deal in lead. <laughs> oh, I like that. Um, I didn't catch And that. in case you don't understand what saying that's not our line means... 
a line is in like your line of work. Right. So that's not our job. Solving no. your problem is not our job. No. Um, but Cavalier just sends back to him, we also deal in lead. Mm-hmm. And then a shootout starts. Um, while the shootout's going on, uh, the villagers and everybody do kill a number of them. Mm-hmm. Not like a ton. There was 40 of them is what they start off with. We don't ever get a con- like an actual confirmed count. But let's say maybe they kill like 10 of them. Right. In, in this shootout. We see during this that Lee is kind of cowering up against the wall. Yeah. He doesn't shoot. He doesn't do anything. He's just kind of sitting there until the shooting is done. And then he comes out giving us sort of our first real look that maybe he's not exactly what we assumed compared to like everybody else. Did it also seem like he was kind of like holding his breath a little bit, like worried that someone was going to come around the corner on him? Yeah. Yeah, he looked very, very concerned. Mm-hmm. Um, so while they're doing that, and they're like, okay, well, everybody got away. Uh, the, everybody assumes that, like, the town people are like, he's not going to come back. Not mm-hmm. after that. And they're like, well, you don't know. We yeah. don't know what's going to happen. Um, and they're asking, like, would you come back? And he's like, not, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. Um, when that happens, all of a sudden, there's some sharpshooters shooting from off in the distance. And uh, the seven kind of take their places to try and figure out, like, we can't really see where they're coming from. It's too far away. Right. Chico almost gets shot in the head by, like, running around. He gets a little hole in his hat. He gets a hole in his he hat. He gets a hole in his hat that he's playing with. Like, oh, look how cool that is. He's, like, smiling and laughing about it to the other guy. Because he, again, thinks, like, this is, like, a cool, yeah. fun thing. This is, like, a fun game. And he, like, does it to the other guys, and they're just looking at him like, that's not funny. Yep. And while that's happening, uh, O'Reilly is sort of, like, up against a rock, sort of waiting, kind of doing cover sort of situation. Mm-hmm. And these three kids come up behind him, and he's like, what are you doing? Get in cover. And yeah. the three kids are like, oh, well, back in the town, we all drew straws, and we got you. Yeah. And so if you die, um, basically, we'll make sure that you get buried, and we will uh, take your gun, and we'll get vengeance for you. We'll, and we'll, bring, we'll bring flowers to your grave every day. And he's like... And what if I don't die? He's like, well, then we'd be happy. We might even be more happy, maybe. And then there's like a little bit of a pause, and then one kid goes, maybe. 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 But it's so funny because he he's the one that did the whistle, or yes. right. So it's very cute how children are tr- drawn to him. Right. And he's probably like, ugh, now I have to worry about these kids. Yeah. How old would you say they're like... It's, Eight. The those kid yeah maybe like ten eight yeah eight ten year old ten year olds or whatever but yeah they're very like we're here for you we're on your side we'll take care of you yeah and dur- also during that we get because um, Chico's told to kind of stay behind so he's also in cover mm-hmm. and the girl runs over to him and is like stop being so foolish yeah basically showing like okay yes I am interested in She's you. She's like you almost died earlier being right. with being how foolish you are. You need to pay better attention. And we're like oh. So you care what happens to him. And it's so funny. I love his acting with her because he shows a little bit of that sheepish like like he's trying so hard to be confident around these guys and then when he's around her he suddenly gets a little fidgety and awkward and like he's not he doesn't know what to do and so he's just like well just go away i'll, I'll, I'll be fine and she's like well no and 
It's just really, really cute interaction. Yeah. I love his acting there. He's trying so hard not to be like, wee, a girl likes me. <laughs> uh, so this comes to the part of the scene, which I kind of mentioned a little earlier, is it's nighttime now, and uh, all of this, well, not all of them, but a majority of the group are kind of in this little house, and Chico comes in, and Chico's just like, man, being a gunslinger is fucking awesome. Yeah. And they're like, it's, it's not that great. Yeah. Um, and this is probably one of the more like poignant moments of the sh- thing to be like, look, being this lonely like gunslinger is not like it's not a great life. Like yeah. these people uh, are great. And and he's like, what are you talking about? And they're like, well, when you're a gunslinger, you have no family, no friends, no children, no home, no, uh. You know, you know no, nothing. You don't you don't know where your next meal's coming from. You don't know this. You don't know that. Um, and also, you could die at any time. Right. And they're like, you, you, have, you have nothing. Mm-hmm. We have nothing doing this. You think it looks cool and it's glamorous and something, yeah. but we literally have, we have nothing. It's, it's so, it's such a great... Like, this isn't something to aspire to, basically. Exactly. And I, I, I know that it's a far reach from Western to the Avengers, but it did remind me so much of how Peter Parker, Spider-Man is just like, I'm, I want to be one of you guys. I, I can do it. I can be great. I can do all this dangerous stuff. And they're trying to say like, it's really scary and it's really hard and you have to be careful. And it's not, you know, it's not this amazingly glamorous thing that you seem to think that it is or that you're playing it up in your head. And he, you know, he's like a little bit fussy about it. He's like, no, what? It is great. You guys are so cool. Well, I mean, that'd be like the moment from, uh, what was the first homecoming? Yeah. When Tony's like, if you're nothing without the suit, then you don't deserve it. Exactly, yeah, exactly. Sort of situation. And that's kind of the thing of like... You can dress like a cowboy, but that doesn't make you a cowboy. You can pretend to be us, but that doesn't make you us. And it's not as glamorous as you think it is. Yeah. Um... So while they're doing this, they basically give they give Chico a new hat because again, it's not really ever outright mentioned, but with his name being Chico, mm-hmm. it's he's supposed to be a young Latino kid. Right. Um, <clears throat> he's played by like a German actor or something, somebody from Europe. Um, so he doesn't exactly look Latino, but he, that's what he's supposed to be. So that's why in this case. He's given a like a big sort of sombrero yeah. type hat. And at first you're just like, were they giving they're like, here's your new hat. And it's like, are they giving that to him just because his old hat got a hole in it? Or No, what it is is Chico, uh, as he's leaving, they go, Okay, go go figure out what they're planning to do next. And that could have been sarcastic, mm-hmm. that could have been serious. I almost feel like it might have been them just being like, just just like fuck off for now. Yeah. And he just took it, like, dead serious because Chico dresses himself up like one of the bandits and just strolls on into their camp. (laughs) Just strolls on in. Seems super out of place, uh, but manages to fit right in and nobody is the wiser. Yep. Yeah, that was pretty funny. (laughs) Um, While he's doing that, we do see Lee again, but Lee is having, like, a night terror... Uh, he's, like, freaking out and panicking, and some of the farmers come in and, like, oh, are you okay? It was just a dream. It was just a dream. 
And this is kind of where it's more or less revealed at this point that Lee suffers from PTSD yeah. from... Uh, he's supposed to be like a, a war veteran, mm-hmm. um, so he's suffering from PTSD of stuff that he had seen during that time or the combat that he had seen. And he... While the townsmen kind of calm him down, he's sitting at the table and he's just talking about like how great he used to be. And he sees yeah. three flies on the table and he quickly swipes his hand across and opens it up and reveals one of them. And you're like, wow, that's, that's impressive. That's cool. He goes, there used to be a time I could have had all three. Yeah. Like, he's like, I used to be so quick and sharp that I could have done this. I could have had all three. And, um, and the guys are looking at him like, no, that, that was awesome. But yeah. it, it was kind of a sad... It was sad, but also I love being able to see a vulnerable side to these characters. Yeah, and and while he's kind of giving them this whole speech about being afraid and having this fear and stuff, the, the farmers just say, we know fear. Yeah. Only the dead don't have fear. Yeah. Um, which, you know, I think kind of helps his character come to the realization that, like, you just can't let that win over you, yeah. basically. Um, really, really great scene. I really mm-hmm. like that. Chico comes back into town. Uh, he tells them that uh, Calvera's men are going to be coming back. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that is because they're starving. They haven't had anything to eat in the last, like, three weeks. Mm-hmm. That's why they keep coming here is because they have literally nothing. And this farm continuously provides them with food. So, obviously, they're coming back. Right. Uh, the seven at this point kind of debate if they should stay or if they should leave. Um, Chico recounts, uh, while they're debating, if, like, this is kind of dumb. Why are we staying here for this? If they're going to come back, they're going to, like, they already know we're here. Mm-hmm. So they'll be prepared. Um, Chico, while they're doing this, is out in the back with the girl recounting his adventures as a spy. Oh, he's trying to be so impressive. Yeah. Like, the way that he's standing and holding himself. He's trying to be, like... Oh yeah, I I did that too, and and that it's no big deal. But he was standing right next to me. <laughs> yeah, he was right next to me. Um, while he's after he does all that, he kisses her. So they've kind of they, cemented that relationship. They have that perfect um, old school Hollywood kiss where they just they, like by the shoulders. They just <laughs> by the shoulders grip each other and just smash faces against each other, and I loved it because he was so, you could tell he was still 50-50 on his confidence and not being confident. Yeah. But she was giving him those bedroom eyes and... <laughs> bedroom eyes? She, she just had a look on her face while she was yeah. listening to him talk, and so he just went for it. And it those aggressive old Hollywood kisses. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so the seven at this point, they decide to kind of ride out and get the jump on... on the gang and when they ride out there they find no one no one's there so they come back into town and when they come back into town everything's eerily quiet and all of a sudden out from a door comes cavalera and all of his men and it revealed that some of the townspeople betrayed them because they just figured instead of dying they'll just go back to the way it was before Mm -hmm. uh, because that was working perfectly fine so cavalera um kind of just nonsensically says, look, 
give me all your guns, mm-hmm. and you can either come work for me, or you can just leave town, and we'll give you your guns back and stuff after you get out of town, but look, you've lost, okay? Yeah. Just give me your stuff. Why would you, why would men like you even do this anyway? And he, he asked them, like, why would you do this? And Chris goes, I'm, I'm not sure. And that's where Vin gives the story of, I once met, knew a man in El Paso who stripped off all of his clothes and jumped into a bed of cacti. And when I asked him, why'd you do that? He replied, seemed like a good idea at the time. <laughs> I fucking love that line. He's like, I don't know, man. Seemed cool, I guess. <laughs> Seemed like a good idea at the time. Um, so, he lives up to his sort of deal with them. He's mm-hmm. like, okay, get your horses, get out of town, we'll escort you out of town, we'll I drop think, off your weapons. I think he even offers to give him food, too, at one point, right? Yeah, probably. He was yeah. just like, look, Doesn't just food? get out of here yeah. and take... Oh, yeah, yeah, he says, take whatever you want. Yeah. Just as long as you're leaving, take whatever you want. No harm, no foul, who cares? Uh, so they all leave, they get, they get out of town, um, they're kind of rowed out to the river, their weapons are dropped off, the, the gang members who escorted them leave, and then the seven are just kind of sitting there, and while they're getting their guns back, they're like kind of putting their guns back on, Chico kind of has this moment of being like, I know... Mm-hmm. men like this yeah because it's at this point revealed that and you've already known this all along because he's he's young clearly he doesn't fit in he's not exactly a gunslinger or whatever but it's revealed that chico is trying to become a gunslinger because he comes from a farming town that dealt with the same right. thing it's he's trying to basically live out uh, a sort of romanticized version of vengeance for what he grew up knowing right um, <clears throat> so the seven kind of debate a little bit on, should we go back? Um, do we want to leave? Like, what do we want to do here? And they decide, a couple of them, that we're going to go back. We're going to go mm-hmm. help. Um, Harry goes, y'all are fucking crazy. Yeah. That's a, literally a suicide mission. I'm leaving. He points to Lee and goes, come on, Lee, let's get out of here. And Lee, who the one you think would probably take the first chance to flee, doesn't. He decides to kind of, you know what? No, I'm, I'm staying. I'm going to go help I'm all, I'm all in. And also, wasn't it when they, were, when they were initially leaving, didn't we see the girl kind of look and watching Chico leave? Kind of like, great, he's leaving me. So Harry rides off and leaves. But the rest, the other six, go back into town. They sneak back into the town and they start to attack. Clearly, they did not think they were coming back. Because everybody is, like, sleeping or yeah. laying around or just in their in their huts or whatever. Uh, so they're going in, guns blazing. So I just started blasting. So I just started blasting. So they're basically just kicking down all the doors, shooting everybody who's asleep and all that stuff. Yeah. But finally... The bandits do kind of get up and start mounting a retaliation. Yeah, their own little army. Uh, And during the gunfire, Vin gets shot in the leg, Mm -hmm. and he busts into, like, a a house, and he starts to kind of tie off the wound to kind of cut off the bleeding. Yeah. And Chris sees that, and Chris tries to go over to get him help and kind of gets pinned down. And as he's getting pinned down, we hear... I'll help you, Chris. And Harry comes riding back into the town. Yeah. 
just to get shot to shit. Yep. Uh, he falls off his horse, he gets up, and he gets gunned down. But he makes it over to Chris, and Chris and Vin get him inside the room. Uh, and Harry, as he's, like, dying, Chris's arms go, goes, There was more to this, wasn't there? Tell me there was more. And Chris yeah. is like, "There, you were right, there was more. And he's like, well, what, what was it? And Chris says, gold. Yeah. And then Harry Dot is believing that he is, well, weirdly believing that he was fighting for more than just yeah. $20. That he died for Something this great. big fortune that he was hoping to find. He needed that little comfort in his last minutes. And, yeah, it was really sad. Yeah. We also see uh, O'Reilly gets shot in, like, the shoulder and falls off this roof. Um, we then see that Lee has, like, this really big, cool moment. Mm -hmm. He comes up to this house, and he, like, puts his gun in his holster, and he kicks the door in, and he steps inside, and he, like, quick draws and shoots, like, four people down and saves the three main farmer guys that we got to know. And as they're all leaving, as Lee literally comes outside, gets shot, and dies. He had the one big moment of heroics dies again sad um chris and vin are still kind of in a room fighting off people and chris sees out the back window calavera showing up and chris shoots him through the window so calavera's like basically bleeding out outside um when they come up to him they ask calavera asks why they came back uh, but no, he gets no reply before mm-hmm. he dies. He's like, why? Why Why would you come back? Why are you here? Yeah. And he just dies without ever getting any sort of answer. Good. Uh, while some bandits are trying to flee town, Britt is sort of in this, like, sort of like a fork in a road. Mm-hmm. And he's shooting at him, and they're shooting him as they go by. And we see him stand up from behind the wall with, like, blood on him. Yeah. And he goes to throw his knife, but he falls over, also dying. And uh, Bernardo, or O'Reilly, is, we see him, uh, again, the kids run over to him, middle of a gunfight, kids run over to Mm -hmm. him for some reason, and he pushes the kids out of the way behind a wall, and just as he does that, he gets shot down with a hail of bullets, and he tells them to, before he dies, uh, because all of the bandits have basically left the town at this point, the villagers have started fighting back and everything, he tells the kids to look over at their fathers because they're standing up and fighting and to not look up to him as like a hero or something, yeah. but look up to those, the men who, you know, have jobs and, and are working hard, but still stood up to actually fight. Yeah. And to not be ashamed of you being farmers, not to be ashamed of your village and not to, um, fantasize about this, you know, cowboy lifestyle or whatever. Yeah. Um, you know, those are the real heroes. Those are the, the people you should be looking up to. Yeah. It was very, very, very sad. Yeah. And then at this point again, they're all basically, the bandits are all gone at this point. Chris walks over to where Britt was, finds that he was dead, pulls his knife out of the wall and mm-hmm. keeps it with him. So out of the seven who were hired to do this task, four of them have died in defense of the town leaving only our three survivors, which were Chris, Vin, and Chico. Um, They're all sort of congratulated and thanked by the Elder. 
Um, the elder kind of gives a little bit of a speech that, uh, you know, the farmers have won this day, uh, but unfortunately, you know, even though this one thing was prevented, like, it, it will probably happen again. Uh, but, like, he he says that basic, and this is kind of funny because it'll, you know, random tie back into A Bug's Life here. Maybe this is where the idea of Bug's Life came from. The elder basically says that what you guys did today was akin to a strong wind blowing the locusts off the crops. Mm. The locusts were coming in, eating the crops, destroying the crops, and then a wind comes in and blows them away. Yeah. You were the wind who just blew them away. You know, made this town be able to prosper. The reason I say weird tie into like a bug's life at that point is because I mean, the grasshoppers are basically a locust, locust yeah. that are coming in and eating the crops of these ants. That's a very good point. Not even the crops, but they're just, you know, taking all the ants' food or whatever. Um, and there's a bird, wind, whatever. You know, it's like a six degrees of Kevin Bacon kind of situation. Disney Pixar movies. <laughs> um, so they go to leave, the three go to leave the town. They kind of ride off. And as they're riding off, they get up to the top of this hill and kind of look back on the town. And Chico decides, sort of looking back, that he doesn't want to actually be a gunslinger. Yeah. And, and he leaves Chris and Vin, and he rides back into town, and he gets off of his horse, and he undoes his holster and throws it over and takes off of his hat uh, in front of the girl... Uh, Petra, Petra. And, and is basically accepting his the life of a farmer to have a family and stuff yes. which as he was told like a night or two before that they don't have families or prospects or anything right. he doesn't want that but he does yeah. want this with her yeah he he realizes that he's not cut out for this and he did you know glamorize and romanticize this this career path this lifestyle this yeah. lifestyle and i also like too before they left that the old man told them you'll always be welcome here if you ever need anything you you can always come back um i thought that part was really great and seeing um we kind of see petra's face while he's behind her taking off that the holster she's just kind of like smiling to herself and you know she just gets a flush and a glow on her face that she's happy he's staying. Yeah, and, and basically the last line of dialogue that we do get in this is delivered by Yule Brenner, kind of uh, Chris talking to Vin, and he says, the old man was right. Mm -hmm. The farmer, the uh, only the farmers won. Yeah. We lost. We'll always lose. We'll always lose. And they turn off and, and ride off into the sunset. We do get a last shot of the grave sites of the fallen members uh, and the three little three kids bring flowers to uh, Bernardo's grave like they said they would. Like they promised. Uh, and then we do get a last shot of Vin and Chris just kind of riding off into the distance as the it just pops up the end. Yeah. And the music is so good during that part too. Yeah, the music's fantastic the whole time. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's I was so so happy that the kid turns around and goes back and decides that is the life he wants to live and and be with her and 
Yeah. They, they taught him a very good lesson. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the movie, well, first off, since this was apparently your first viewing, mm-hmm. um, which is hilarious that we've done two movies in a row, where Psycho is technically my first viewing, this is your first oh, viewing. Oh, yeah. Uh, completely coincidental. Very coincidental. <laughs> uh, but what, what, were, what are your thoughts on the, action, on the movie itself? I, lo- I really, really enjoyed it, especially as someone that's not, you know, like I said earlier, not the biggest Western fan. It's not really, you know, kind of in my, my wheelhouse, but I really enjoyed myself. I laughed um, a good deal. I said, oh my God, a couple times. And, uh, and yeah, I really, really enjoyed it. I see why it's one of my dad's all-time favorites, and I wouldn't mind watching it again. So, yeah, I really, really like it. And... I like that. Uh, I liked seeing that it was, was Chris Pratt's character in the newer one was McQueen. McQueen's character. Uh, they're not exact transition the translations, but yes, he's basically supposed to be Steve McQueen's character. I like that. I'll have to watch that again. Um, yeah. So, the movie itself, uh, again, I kind of mentioned it up at the top. It was extremely successful. Um, they did eventually make three sequels, mm-hmm. which were. Um, I bought a, the box set, uh, the complete collection of The Magnificent Seven, um, which is the 1966 Return of the Seven, which does star Yul Brenner coming back as Chris. Mm-hmm. Um, it's strange to call it Return of the Seven when <clears throat> four of those members died. Yeah, a little bit. Uh, <laughs> then we have 1969's Guns of the Magnificent Seven, and then 1972's The Magnificent Seven Ride, exclamation point. I guess I need to put a little ride. Ride. <laughs> um, the character of Chris returns for all four of those, all three of those sequels. Yeah. Um, like I said, Yul Brenner is in Return of the Magnificent, Return of the Seven, but he's replaced by George Kennedy in Guns of the Magnificent Seven. And then, very interesting connection here, Lee Van Cleef in the magnificent seven ride now lee van cleef is well known in the spaghetti western world for two films specific well really one film specifically but he was in two of the fistful of dollar films Mm. uh, or the trilogy um he was in and they were both done back to back so he's most famous as well, let me just do it in order. So for a few dollars more, he was in that movie. And then, in his most famous, assumed, I'm assuming most famous role, is in The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, right. where he plays Angel Eyes, a.k.a. The Bad. Um, so that's where you would know him from, most likely. Uh, but he did do a ton, ton of things up until, you know, he eventually died. Yeah. Um, so I have never seen any of those sequels. I do plan on watching those sequels just because I'm curious, like, what, is there, like, a continuous storyline with Chris? Yeah, Or is it sort of, like, weird, uh, anthology sort of things that aren't really connected to anything other than Chris is, like, the central character of all four of them? Yeah. Um, so that'll be interesting to see. And then there was a television series just called The Magnificent Seven, which ran between 1998 to 2000. Um, and 
Robert Vaughn guest starred, uh, was a recurring guest star on that show. Now, Robert Vaughn was, uh, he played Lee in this movie. Uh. So, it was interesting, you know, it's cool to see that he was able to somehow be connected to that show, Hmm. even if he didn't necessarily play the same character. Um, Here's a a little, like, crazy bonkers one. Mm -hmm. I've never seen this. I don't know anything about it. Um, but, But there was an unofficial remake in the 1980s. A science fiction film called Battle Beyond the Stars was a remake of the Magnificent Seven, just set in space. Oh, uh, the God. quick rundown is a group of mercenaries. Um, I was not expecting that. Including one played by uh, George Peppard um, and Robert Vaughn, again, Robert mm. Vaughn from the Magnificent yeah. Seven, defends farmers from space raiders on the planet Akir, home of the Akira. Named after Akira Kurosawa, the director oh. of Seven Samurai. How clever! Just, I almost want to see it because one, the poster looks like it's absolutely oh, it looks terrible, awful. Oh, it looks bad. <laughs> oh, that does not look good. But it sounds it sounds so, yeah, yeah. I don't know what to make of it, but it just sounds really dumb. And then of course there was the 2016 remake. Uh, just called The Magnificent Seven, mm-hmm. starring, first off, it was directed by Antoine Fuqua, mm-hmm. but stars Denzel Washington, Chris Pratt, Ethan Hawke, Vincent D'Onofrio, um, Peter Sarsgaard plays mm-hmm. the main villain in it. Um, I feel like I remember liking the movie. Um, I don't think I'd seen the original by then. Yeah. But I I definitely seen Seven Samurai, because Seven Samurai... Uh, I had seen, uh, back when Netflix was only you rented DVDs, Yeah, I that was one of the DVDs I did. Because oh. I, I, it must have been, jeez, I, I don't know. This must have been like 2009, mm-hmm. 2010. Uh, I want to say I was definitely probably out of high school at this point and starting to like where I was really sort of getting into like, watching tons of reviews and watching yeah. people just talk about like the movie industry in general and, and, and you know like early podcasts or youtube shows and things like that where this had got brought up so many times i was like okay i gotta see that and yeah. i was like oh it's on netflix okay i'll order that and watch it through netflix um those were the days and it was probably also when i got the anime for samurai 7 mm-hmm. uh definitely picked that up at probably just a random anime convention i bought the the uh no actually i think i also rented that through the dvd stuff for netflix because i did a lot of anime movies and stuff back then through netflix yeah um but i think i did that as it was coming out as it was being released so every like anytime a new one was released i'd get the next one and then eventually i just bought the box set but again i very much recommend the anime because the anime is it's pretty short uh, off the top of my head, I don't know how many episodes it is, but it's only a single season. Huh. But it is a it's steampunk samurai. So there's like flying airships and like robots and stuff. And one of the ca- the characters are all based on the Seven Samurai. So they're mm-hmm. not exactly the characters aren't one for one translations between the Magnificent Seven and Seven mm-hmm. Samurai. So 
Um, the characters wouldn't exactly be the same, but the general plot and story and kind of what ends up happening is more or less the same. Yeah. So you could easily jump into that and, and watch it. But um, I very much suggest... Well, one, I am very much a supporter of, like, bring back the Western. Yeah, big time. Um, <laughs> because I've just... I understand why westerns have died out. It definitely was a genre that, as I mentioned at the top, um, going into the 60s was sort of, it was on the decline. It was definitely going out of style at that point. Um, and, you know, it made it through the 60s into, like, the 70s is where it was basically dead at that point. Isn't that, isn't that where we get... Um... Leonardo DiCaprio's character in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood wasn't that sixties or seventies when yes. the spaghetti uh-huh. they were trying to get him to do right. So he yes he is offered to because his career is kind of dwindling mm-hmm. to go over to Italy to film some westerns right. and, and the spaghetti western I might butcher this or get this wrong. Obviously, I didn't look anything up to actually talk about this because it's not significant because the. Uh, Magnificent Seven is not a spaghetti western. Right. It is just a western. Right. Because spaghetti westerns weren't technically invented at that point. Right. But it gets its name from shooting westerns in Italy because it was so cheap to do so um, that literally they just started filming tons of them over there. Right. It's very, very cheaply made. um, Very famous for bringing us Clint Eastwood um, and uh, Sergio Leone's uh, influence on the genre itself so the genre gets super saturated and just kind of dies out just people are so sick of westerns they just go away we get westerns still every now and then um but we also get like different sub-genres of westerns you get neo-westerns are pretty successful lately you're thinking of things like um no country for old men mm-hmm. Hell or High Water, Wind River, uh, basically anything Taylor Sheridan does, um, <laughs> which I love, Sicario, fantastic, um, all those neo-Western sort of movies, I like those, but I'd like to see a return to their just, I don't obviously want the genre, like, super saturated whatever, kind of like superhero movies are now, but just a general, like, Westerns, like, bring mm-hmm. back just good old-fashioned Westerns, I'm all for it. They kind of did, you know, like uh, True Grit sort of, you know, had its remake in, I don't know, 2011 or whatever year that was that yeah. that was done. Um, moderately successful, but some new original ideas for Westerns would be great. We have we get super successful video game, uh, Red Dead Redemption 2. Oh, yeah, was that, was, that was huge. Absolutely massive, so it shows that, like, you can do a western and, and it be successful but we've just not really recently had a, a really breakout good one we watched i think last year or maybe the year before was netflix did the harder they fall mm-hmm. uh starring jonathan majors oh yeah uh you know who who uh did some really awful things and is now basically has no career um but i i enjoyed that one it wasn't fantastic or anything but i enjoyed some of the stuff that was in it um the coen brothers did like the ballad of buster scroggs which was like a 
um, anthology of different westerny stories. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I like I said, I'm all for like bring bring the western back. I think yeah. or or more like neo western things. I'm all for it. I just it's a genre that I think so much time has passed since it was actually like the number one type of movie being made mm-hmm. that you know little sprinkles here and there of like actual a list like big Hollywood blockbuster one you could definitely do oh for sure it doesn't have to be like straight up action movie I'm, I think like the last one that you could probably truly point at as being like this is the the last uh, like straight up western not a neo-western or something because mm-hmm. you'd say like no country for old men because it won Love oscars yeah. um but would probably be 1994 i believe uh clint eastwood's unforgiven mm-hmm. that is straight up it is a, a western, western period yeah um one best picture uh it, it's very very good it's fantastic yeah. um yeah i don't know I said watch more westerns. So I'm I mean I'm going to watch the the three sequels at some point. You can join me, you don't have to join me, whatever. I would also like to admit that I went a very embarrassingly long amount of time constantly confusing um The Magnificent 7 with The Hateful Eight. Oh god. <laughs> Just always getting those confused. <laughs> Which The Hateful Eight is a Quentin Tarantino movie. Yes. You uh, there, <laughs> you're definitely not the only person because when I was looking something up earlier, it had nothing to do with what I was looking up. But you know how Google likes to be like, these are like the most Your commonly asked questions. Yeah. Um, one of them was something like, is the Hateful Eight connected to Magnificent, Magnificent Seven. Seven? Yeah. I totally thought that for a while. No. <laughs> I know. I know. I, I, now I, I, I feel much more um, firmly in knowing the difference. But yeah, there's the title is very close. Yeah. yeah. Um. So, would you suggest people watch it? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely watch it. Again, as someone that's not big onto this genre, I really enjoyed myself, and I'm glad that I watched it. And like I said, I, w- I would watch it again. And I also will you watch of- the sequels? Maybe. <laughs> I know for sure I want to rewatch the 2016 one with Chris Pratt. Okay. I think that one's different enough. Yeah. Uh, again, the, the general plot points are the same, but that one, they definitely created their own unique characters, mm-hmm. and there is some twists in it that I was like, oh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, but I, th- I think it's good enough, and it's got, you know, it's got good star power. Ethan Hawke's great in it. Denzel oh, yeah, Washington's yeah. good. Chris Pratt is... Chris Pratt's good in it. Yeah. Yeah. So, I don't know. I really I really enjoyed it, and I'm glad it was... I thought that was a, a good pick that you did. Yeah. That was your pick. I get next week. You get next week. Yeah. Any idea what you're going to do next week? Mm, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, of course I'm not. I'm going to think about it. Okay, so you can... Uh, thank you for listening. Um, depending on what you're listening on, you might be able to give this, like, a rating, thumbs up. Uh, leave comments whatever it might be share it with people all that kind of fun stuff yeah uh we appreciate everybody's feedback and listening and uh we'll be back next week with something you can find us elsewhere on instagram facebook uh, at coas underscore podcast for chicken on a stick Absolutely. uh and yeah this is available everywhere so wherever you're listening to it you can follow us on youtube as well because it's always there if you listen on youtube 
Uh, and then every Friday we do reviews of a new movie we go out and see. Mm-hmm. Uh, and join on into the Discord, take part in our movie club that we do. It's uh, a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. So thanks, yeah. thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Depending on whenever you're listening to this, we hope you have a great week or a great weekend or whatever. Have a good life. Have a good, have a good one. <laughs> okay. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>